Coming up on The Exam Room. I had a little bit like of a shortness of breath issue that I was noticing when I would talk to a table at the restaurant because we had this kind of long introductory spiel. And I found myself having to take a little breath during it, which was which was weird. I just thought it was like a lingering cold or something, but it didn't go away. And so after a week or two, I was like, you know what? I've got insurance. I'm going to go to the doctor. And so she said, well, we can we can send you I'll send you for a chest X-ray. And so I did it. And I went next door afterwards to and I was having lunch and I got a call and they asked me to come back in. And I thought, that's not good. No doctor has ever called me to to say, come back in. And so I went in and had a some kind of scan, like a CT scan or something. And then I got a call from her that evening and she told me she I, I had something in my lung and I thought I was dead, you know? And so I did six months of, of brutal chemotherapy and then a month of radiation treatment. And based on not the cancer itself, but because of the treatment and the treatments can be hard on your lungs and heart and that you're supposed to behave, you know, post-treatment as kind of someone who has high risk for heart disease. And I didn't take that to heart for a long time, but now, you know, I, I kind of forget that I had cancer a lot of days or most days, but then I think, well, you know, this thing I'm doing to benefit my weight and my overall health and my running, it's also serving me in in kind of reducing the chance of a, of a secondary cancer, which is really the risk after you know, radiation and chemo. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Shreveport, Louisiana. Eugene, Oregon, where we're headed today, and Porto Alegre, Brazil. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 79 of season 6, number 475 overall. You don't need to be a sports fan to know that UCLA football is a big deal. It has been a proving ground for Saturday stars to become Sunday legends. We're talking about the likes of Ken Norton, Maurice Jones-Drew, and the Hall of Famer Troy Aikman. Guys who are heroes to millions of people across the globe. But I submit that our guest today has a story that stands as tall as any of his fellow Bruins. One, perhaps, that's even more iconic. Because his is a story that extends well beyond the confines of just a 100-yard football field because he defeated an opponent that was not even playing a game. His opponent was playing for keeps and playing for the highest stakes possible. And no, he wasn't facing a Trojan from USC. This gentleman's Trojan went by the name of Cancer. But Pete Holland, ever the football player, creates a new playbook pieces together a winning strategy that led him to the greatest victory of his life. And so through treatments and a huge dietary shift, Pete is ringing the bell because Pete is cancer-free. 
And so this gridiron gladiator is here to share his incredible journey with us today. And we're going to be getting into his former diet and what he's eating today. And you want to talk about something as different as night and day. <laughs> oh, baby. And think about this before we get going. I fully realize that there may not be a lot of sports fans who are tuned in today. But think about this. Maybe you've never played football. Maybe, in fact, you are not even a fan of sports. Maybe you think you could never have anything in common with a big, hulking football player. But Pete Holland is going to prove that notion wrong today, and happily so with his story. So let's get into this right now. Kicking cancer out of the stadium, out of his life, scoring a touchdown of hope and running up the score for health. There are no trick plays here, just a smash mouth playbook for a new life. Pete, thanks for being here, man. Chuck, thank you so much. I am I am so excited to be here. I've been listening for uh, for several years now, and I was thrilled to meet you a, a couple months ago. And um, yeah, very happy to be here. So thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And thank you for coming up and introducing yourself at the show that we did in New York City. You you came by for that one. And I just couldn't believe it when you started telling me your story. Number one, everything that you had been through. But then number two, that you had flown all the way across the country to be there, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I should mention, I don't want to sound like too insane about coming out to the podcast. But um, yeah, my, my family and I were headed out to New York. Um, we had plans to go the day after the podcast. And when I realized that this was going on, um, I told my wife it was around my birthday. And I said, you know what I really want? I just want to go out a day early and go to this, uh, go to this podcast. So um, my wife's from the Bronx. Um, I took the train into the city. And uh, that's when I met you. Oh, man, it was a real pleasure to have you here that night and an even greater pleasure to have you here today because so often people come on this show and they are people who are really steeped in this plant-based space. And a lot of them, to be honest, are kind of, I guess you could put them into that, that category that falls under stereotypical vegan. But you are anything but the typical vegan, my friend, you are, as we said, a former big time college football player and also a cancer survivor. So let's just dive into your story here, man, and let everybody know that no matter who you are in life, where you're going, what your circumstances, we got room for everybody in this pool, man. Um, being a football player, division one, major school, did you guys ever even bring up the thought of eating more fruits and vegetables no i mean it was so it was there in front of us i suppose i honestly don't even really remember we would um you know i'm thinking so many things have changed in college football but back then during the season and during camp you had training table and that was um you know a team meal that would happen after practice um, during two a days, it would happen, um, you know, two, three times a day. And then during the season, it would be during the week during practice just for dinner. Um, and it was calorie intensive, you know, but we're talking like, you know, cheesy pastas, pizza, um, you know, fried potatoes. Um, you know, there was a salad option, I guess. I, I mean, I must have taken the salad option at some point, like at least added it to my plate. But 
you know, I just kind of cringe to think about how few vegetables I ate in those days. You know, it, it was next to nothing um, unless they were, you know, it, they had been turned into, uh, I don't know, thrown on a pizza or something. Um, so, yeah, there, there was it, it was all about getting enough calories, um, you know, I guess, you know, protein was a big thing. We would supplement, I remember, or taking uh, Metrex shakes, you know. Um, but as far as like the the composition of what we were eating, it was it was not on my mind. And, and I don't remember hearing a lot about it. All right. But you're in UCLA, California, pretty progressive area. Um, by and large, though, what did the word vegan mean to you at that point in your life? Oh, I don't think I knew the word. <laughs> I mean, this was, um, you know, I, I hate to say it now because it sounds recent to me, the end of the 90s, but I realized that that sounds like a very long time ago to a lot of people. Um, but, you know, I knew that vegetarians existed, but I don't I really don't think I knew that the word the word vegan or what that what that was. I remember seeing um, I don't know if you remember this, but when Roger Clemens, you know, testified in front of you know, whatever. And that was in the, in the late, um, two thousands, they asked him if he was vegan because, uh, something about syringes and B12 and stuff. And he didn't know what it meant. And I remember thinking that's funny that he doesn't know what that means, but you know, 10 years earlier, I don't think I knew what that, what that meant. That's fair. And to kind of put this into perspective though, the, I just love drawing this comparison where we're talking about nutrition education at such a, a large school where, I mean, you're talking about just some historic athletes have come out of this school. I mean, UCLA is major for basketball, for football, for uh, baseball to a certain extent. I mean, just so many sports. Yeah. Did you have a drive or a thought that you might want to play on Sunday afternoons after your college days were over? You know, I thought that when I was in high school and when I was coming out, um, you know, and, and getting recruited, I thought, you know, why not me? Like I'm, I'm, I'm being recruited pretty, you know, not nationally, but, but, you know, some serious schools were recruiting me. Um, Stanford and UCLA were my last, you know, kind of my last two. And I, and I ended up choosing UCLA. Um, so yeah, I, I I guess I I had dreamed of that as a kid, um, but and I thought, well, I'm on the track to do that. I mean, this is what guys who go to the NFL do. They go and play at a big school, and then they get better and better and better. Um, and then it wasn't long; it, it was maybe a year or two into my college career that I realized that that was not going to be the path for me, um, and you know, I wasn't good enough. Um, I wasn't strong enough. And, but most importantly, I always like to note that I also didn't have the desire that you have to have because, um, I don't know, I guess I just thought it, it would be kind of automatic. Like you go to a, you go to a good school and then you do everything they tell you to do. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, the NFL is interested in you. And it's not like that. Um, I mean, you have to be gifted and strong and you got to have the want to i mean if you don't have that fierce desire to go to the nfl you need to be seriously physically blessed to to go you know because a lot of guys have a you know it, it's just like a a combination of all those three and those are the guys that go to the nfl um 
And then the guys that thrive in the NFL, I don't even know what that formula is. It, it's it's uh, kind of beyond me. But, um, you know, I had some good friends that played in the NFL, but um, not very long careers. And, and they were incredible college football players, you know, but it just goes to show how good the the greats are, you know. And, you know, working in this arena now, but still maintaining my passion for sports, I always wonder, because you're talking about really kind of a razor thin margin between, you know, being good, being great, and then being the GOAT, the greatest of all time. It is really a razor thin margin. And I just wonder if for those who are not yet in the GOAT category or even a great category, they're pretty good, but they're not great. If they were to tweak their diet, give themselves a little bit of an edge when it comes to nutrition, would that make a difference in terms of their long-term prospects for going pro? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it would be, it's hard for me to, to speak about that because I, you know, was kind of, you know, I rose to the level of my incompetence, like they say, you know, I was good, very good in high school. And then in college, I was pretty good, good enough to start, good enough to be a captain, but like, you know, no, no interest from the pros. So, um, but yeah, I know at that when when you talk about the razor thin margin, I mean everything makes a difference, right? Um, now, granted, I I got to say there's kind of a gap in my plant based knowledge, and that's that you know now I'm 46, and so my interests are in you know um, being as healthy as I can be, um, being at a really healthy weight that feels good. Um, I like to run, I like to trail run, so I like to be at a you know a weight that that feels good running. Um, and also longevity. Those are my interests now. So if uh, I have my wife's nephew is a sophomore in high school now, and he's he's playing football and he's like, you know, bulking up with all the same foods that I bulked up on. Um, and if he came to me and said, you know, how do I bulk up? How do I do what I want to do physically while eating the way you eat? I would have to do some serious research because that just is not um it's just not why I do it. I know it's possible. I mean, you see the guys in the pros that, uh, that are following a plant-based diet and you know, it's possible, but, um, I guess it's just so far outside of my goals for me now that, um, that I don't really have any expertise on that, but sure. I mean, you know, for guys where that are looking for every little edge, I mean, I guess why not, you know, why not try it? And, and now, even though you're not eating a plant-based diet to bulk up, obviously, you're a runner now, you're not a, a big-time lineman anymore, um, you're out there running. I mean, that, that does take a toll on your body. What have you noticed in terms of recovery time when you really push yourself out on the trail? How does that compare, compare to where you were back in college when you were just constantly beating and banging and then not really paying, a uh, paying attention to what it was you were eating? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, apples and oranges in a way, because we, you know, I remember Sunday mornings, you know, after a game and it was like, you know, you felt like you'd been physically beaten, you know? And, and so, um, we had a Chinese place down the, down the alley from where we lived in, in West LA at the time. And we would eat there maybe, maybe twice on Sundays, just cause it was like 50 yards away, you know, and we're eating like, I don't know, sweet and sour chicken and stuff like that. Um, so it's hard to say, but my recovery now um, is is great. And the thing I listen to, like Jim Loomis a lot, I, I'm very interested in what he has to say because I know he's a, um, you know, he does like marathons and, and stuff beyond what I do. Um, so I feel like, you know, I can really push it and do like eight or 10 miles on the trail. And the next morning, I usually don't run again, but I could. Um, 
And, and that's, that's not something I ever felt when I was playing ball again, you know, on the trail, no one's like slamming into me. So it's a little bit different, but the other thing I notice and um, is just like the anti-inflammatory thing, you know, because at this point, whether it's like stuff that is kind of left over from football or just results of, you know, being in my mid forties now, um, I'm very aware of, you know, just aches and pains and, and trail running. It can be hard on your knees. It can be hard on your feet and stuff like that. And I just notice that, um, that I feel really good and I'm not going to go back and, and start eating meat and cheese to like do a, do a comparison. You know, I just, um, I just think I, it, it seems like I feel as good as I can feel, which is, which is incredible. I should also mention that, you know, when I, about three years ago, when I started eating this way, I think I weighed about 235. Now I'm at about 203. And so I was running a little bit then and it was tough. And now I think back, I go, man, I was 30 pounds heavier. You know, if you told me if I was going for a run this morning and you said, hey, carry 30 pounds of weights with you, I would say there's no way I can do that. But it's just amazing that, um, you know, that's what I was doing. And, and that is really part of what makes it feel so good for the exercise I do now is just that I'm not carrying around a ton of a ton of extra weight. Yeah. Think about this when it comes to 30 pounds. The five-gallon jug of water that people put on top of the water cooler at the office, or maybe they have one at their house, that's 25 pounds. It's a little bit less than 25 pounds. So you've got one of those plus an additional five. That's what you've taken off. That's an enormous amount of weight. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even if someone says, oh, I lost five pounds, you know, I'll go in my basement and pick up a five-pound, you know, like, weight that I put on the barbell and I'm like, okay, it, it's, it's not nothing. I don't want to carry that on a run, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think, um, that really is, um, you know, you've mentioned on other shows, you know, people talking about weight loss, it's like, you don't want to get into, into weight shaming, but it's undeniable that, that having a lower body weight is kind of, you know, very helpful in, in avoiding certain, you know, certain conditions. Um, but also just the feeling of of giving your body a break and saying like you know I'm no I'm not going to make my body carry around this weight um it really um it's really important and sometimes you know when people kind of tiptoe around the um the the body shaming thing it it just um I hate for that to be ignored just the fact that um it, it's just much easier on your body to carry around less weight and I'm you know I've I at my heaviest, I was 278 going into camp one year. Um, I played at about 265. Um, and now I'm 60 pounds less. And it, there's no, um, just in terms of how I feel from day to day, there's just no, no comparison. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, could you imagine being in your mid 40s now and being at 265 and what that would feel like present day? Uh, no, I, I can't imagine it. Um, you know, when in, in 2017, I went to graduate school and in most of my adult life, I worked in restaurants. So while I was eating a lot of kind of rich food, I was walking around for, for the shift. Cause I was, a you know, a, a server and a bartender and doing all these things on my feet and that, you know, people underestimate that, but you burn a lot more calories <clears throat> walking around for six hours than you would, for, you know, going for a run, even an intense run for one hour. Um, and so but I got out of the restaurant business in, in 2017 and I went to graduate school. And so 
I didn't have that kind of built-in exercise. And I was sitting around a lot because I was in school. Um, and that's when, you know, I guess when I went into grad school, I was about 210. And then when I left, I was about 235. But I didn't even really notice it happening because it was over two years. Um, and that was, uh, you know, nowhere near my playing weight, but it was still, you know, creeping up into, into football territory a little, a little too much. Did you play mind games with yourself to kind of justify not making changes on a particular day? Cause it's just easier to continue down that path. Like I just, I love talking about insight and, and, and just the way that we were able to communicate with ourselves and, and convince ourselves that we don't have to make these changes for whatever the reason. And the reason could be completely, you know, just asinine to literally everybody else on the face of the planet. But it makes sense to you because it was your thought originally. Do you play those mind games? Yeah, totally. And and yeah, it could be, I, you're right. It could be asinine to other people, but everybody has those things. And for me, one of the big things is, since I worked in fine dining and, and I still work in the, in the wine business, um, and I don't drink alcohol anymore, but I, but I still work in the wine business. Um, we have an idea of ourselves and the kind of person we think we want to be. And I find that that guides a lot of our decisions, whether it makes sense or not. And one of the reasons I never thought about whether alcohol might not be the best thing for me in my life was that I wanted to be like a good time guy, you know, like a guy who who would have a glass of wine with you and a guy who who had good wine to open when you came over and a guy who when he was eating a meal would would have the perfect wine to go with it. I liked that idea of myself. And so for a long time, that's why I never considered not drinking alcohol. Um, you know, people uh, people think that you need to be, you know, in the in the gutter before quitting alcohol can improve your life. And it's not true. But I used to think that. And a lot of it was, you know, kind of guided by like, well, you know, I don't have a problem. I'm just, a, you know, I'm just fun. I'm just fun. I want to be fun. And so um, food is the same way. People have an idea of what vegan is. And then people have an idea of, you know, I, I always took pride in the fact that, you know, if I was going to your house for dinner and you were cooking, like I was going to eat it and I was going to love it. And, and in my mind, if someone had some kind of, you know, restriction or limitation, I would think, oh, that's so rude. You know, how, why can't you just be fun like me and, and agreeable, you know? And so those were really the ideas I had of myself that, um, now keep in mind, this is all you know, subconscious, right? Um, I wasn't weighing quitting alcohol or going vegan and saying, no, but I really like being fun. It was just kind of my, kind of my guiding principle. And so, um, that, that was something I had to fight against. Fortunately, during the pandemic, there was no chance to be fun or agreeable, no social pressure. And that was when I started making some big changes. All right, we're about to dive into the, the real heart of your story that I think a lot of people are going to identify with. But uh, first of all, before we do that, I just got to say that my mind is blown uh, that you as a non-drinker are working in the wine business. <laughs> I think, man, 
you are truly like a man that can walk in any circle quite comfortably. That is just extraordinary, man. Well, you um, know, I, uh, so I, I'm, I'm a writer in the wine business and I, my job is to sell wine with, with the words I write about it. And so I have decades of wine memory that I draw upon. So it's not, it's not as tough as you would think, but thank you for that. I appreciate it. I got you. I wonder if you can kind of use that experience then and write about like vegan food so eloquently. I mean, to be a writer, in the food business or the wine business in this case, I mean, you really do have to paint with words. And I would imagine you would be able to draw upon your experience writing about wine and apply that magnificently when it comes to food. Yeah, I would, you know, I would like to give it a shot. You know, one of the things um, that I notice about kind of the vegan food media, um, I won't mention any names, but there's a magazine that I get that's, that's vegan, but I guess my issue with it is that it spends so much, uh, you know, it, it dedicates so much of its space to foods that are like, can you believe this is vegan? Doesn't it look and, and feel and taste just like a fried chicken sandwich? And the, the option, what they write about, it's a little bit junky. You know, it's like maybe if someone wants to be vegan because they don't want to harm animals, but they still want to have a fried chicken sandwich or something. Um, it, the, the magazine is great for them, but when it, um, so the health thing is a little bit on the, on the side. Um, and so, um, that I guess would be one of my criticisms, but maybe that's an opportunity to like get in there and, and change things and write, write about stuff that's, you know, oil free, um, which I've noticed is kind of the things thing that when you, when you tell someone that you don't eat any animal products, they're like, okay, yeah, okay. You're vegan. I understand it. But then when you tell them you don't use any oil, that's when people go, well, I don't even understand how you, how you cook food, then, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to give you a writing assignment. The next time you come to the Washington DC area, I'm going to set up a dinner for you at one of my favorite restaurants in the world outside of DC, right by Dulles airport called green fair. Okay. It's run by a dear friend of mine, Gwen Whitaker. And that is the only restaurant that I know of that is 100% organic and salt, oil, and sugar-free. So really, we're talking salt-free. Like, even I haven't gotten to the salt-free point yet, bro. We're talking like the upper echelon of health. And I would just love to get a column from you about yeah. the food at Green Fair. And like, we'll set it up. You will be there. I'll bring Jim Loomis, and we'll have a grand old time breaking the proverbial bread. But then I want that recap with your yeah. writer's touch, man. Yeah. You know, so my wife went to Georgetown and she has a reunion next year. And so maybe this is my excuse to go out there. All right, man. Next time you're coming, you just let me know. All right. All right. I'll, hey, I will hold you to that. So don't, uh, you know. Standing just invitation. <laughs> Standing invitation. Standing cool. invitation. All right. All right, man. Let's get into to your story here. Um, you also, though, um, were diagnosed with cancer at one point in your life. Talk to us about that. What happened, man? Yeah. So 10 years ago, um, I was living in Nashville, Tennessee, and I just uh, just gotten married, no kids yet. Um, and was, you know, working in restaurants and still just kind of living the life, uh, you know, the, the life of a restaurant guy. Um, and I had a it was it was fall it was actually around this time of year, um, uh, mid October, I guess. And I had a little bit like of a shortness of breath issue that I was noticing when I would talk to a table at the restaurant because we had this kind of long introductory spiel <clears throat> and 
I found myself having to take a little breath during it, which was, which was weird. And so I had health insurance at the time. And so on my day off, it, it, I just thought it was like a lingering cold or something, but it, it didn't go away. And so after a week or two, I was like, you know what, I've got insurance. I'm going to go to the doctor. And so I went and saw this doctor, um, Dr. Sanders in Nashville. I first time I met her, but, um, she will always have a, have a place in my heart. Um, and I told her what was going on and she goes, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, maybe some people develop asthma as adults, you know, and, um, maybe it's that. And I didn't say this, but I was thinking like, look, I was a college football player. I, I run trails all the time. I don't think I'm just getting asthma out of the blue, you know? Um, and she said, well, we can, we can send you, I'll send you for a chest x-ray if you want, or not if you want, but I'll, I'll, let's do that. And so I did it and I went next door afterwards to, and I was having lunch and I got a call and they asked me to come back in. And I thought, that's not good. No doctor has ever called me to, to say, come back in. And so, um, I went in and had a, some kind of scan, like a CT scan or something. And then I got a call from her that evening and she told me she, I, I had, there was something in my lung. Um, and, uh, I thought I was dead, you know? I, I, I looked up online, I looked up lung cancer cause she said lung and I, you know, I looked it up and I thought, well, okay, lung cancer, I don't smoke, but you know, there's such a thing as bad luck. And if, you know, based on what I, I know they tell you not to just go to the internet and for medical advice, but of course I went straight to the internet, um, and, you know, realized life expectancy, if you have lung cancer is two years or something. And I thought, you know, I'm dead. Um, a couple days passed and she said, she told me, I'm going to send you to a pulmonologist. And I went in and I saw this doctor and he said, look, even if you had smoked two packs a day for 30 years, you know, it, it would be, you know, lung cancer. I doubt it's that. Um, but it could be um, a couple of things. And one of the things he mentioned is, uh, is Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so, you know, kind of skipping over the rest of the diagnosis, um, you know, process, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and it turned out the thing that was giving me the shortness of breath um, was kind of an infection in my lungs that I had because my immune system was compromised because of the lymphoma. So, um, that was a shock. That was a shock to me because I'd always thought, you know, I'm, I'm healthy and, you know, bad health things happen to everyone, but me. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that kicked off a, a treatment that lasted about seven months. Um, the good thing about Hodgkin's is it's, um, it was one of the first cancers, quote unquote, cured by chemotherapy back in the seventies. And, and the treatments kind of been refined since then, but it's a, it's a very go-to, um, you know, treatment. If you're going to have cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma is, is not the worst thing to have. Um, and so I did six months of, of brutal chemotherapy and then about, um, a month of radiation treatment and, um, I had more hair when I went in than than when I came out and and I do now, but um, but I'm good now. But um, yeah, the and I never, you know, the the advice kind of coming out. I don't know if my doctor gave me the advice, but stuff that I've read is that you know, based on not the cancer itself, but because of the treatment, and the treatments can be hard on your lungs and heart, and that you're supposed to behave, you know, post treatment as kind of someone who has high risk for heart disease. And 
I didn't take that to heart for a long time. Um, but now I see the value in like, you know, I, I kind of forget that I had cancer a lot of days um, or most days. But then I think, well, you know, this thing I'm doing to benefit my weight and my overall health and my running, it's also serving me in in kind of reducing the chance of a, of a secondary cancer, which is really the risk after, you know, radiation and chemo. All right, let's, you mentioned that these treatments were just brutal. And the majority of people who are watching and listening today have been fortunate enough to have never gone through them. Can you walk us through them with a little bit more detail, what it's actually like for someone going through that? Yeah, sure. Um, so the treatment, well, first I should say that if you've never had cancer, you hear chemo and you think it's like this one thing you get chemo and, and that's the end of the story. But chemo just refers to, a, you know, a treatment using, you know, intravenous chemicals and it's a different for every cancer. So the tried and true treatment for Hodgkin's is called ABVD, which is um, adriamycin, um, bleomycin, vinblastin, and um, decarbazine. All right. I love decarbazine because it's like, there's no way that can feel good, right? It's just such a terrible word. Um, and so you go in um, every two weeks and they pump these into you and you have to sit there for about three or four hours. Um, and then you feel terrible, but not immediately because they give you a steroid with it. So for the the day, I, I remember not believing how good I felt the afternoon of my first chemo treatment. I was like, this is a piece of cake, man. Well, it turns out it's because that steroid was in me and I was feeling good artificially. And then that wears off over a couple of days. And I could barely, after two days, I could barely turn my head to look at the alarm clock. And I'm not being dramatic here. I, I thought if this is how it's going to be, I can't do it. There's no way I can do it. Fortunately, your body kind of gets you or my body got used to it. And so the treatments got a little bit better in terms of just knocking me out and, and that brutal fatigue that I experienced. I, I experienced it the second time, but a little bit less and then a little bit less the third time. But the thing that happens also is, so that got better over time. So let's say like that, but then other things get worse over time. Um, and one of the things, uh, I think it's bleomycin, one of the potential side effects is um, neuropathy, right? Tingling in your hands and, and feet. And so my doctor told me like, hey, you know, this is possible. So let me know if you have any tingling, you know? And after about three treatments, I told him, I've got a little tingling in my toes. And he goes, okay, well, let me know if it gets into your feet. And so the next week I'm like, in my feet. And he goes, okay, but now tell me if it gets to your ankles. <laughs> and I go, all right, it's in my ankles now. And so I had um, what's called foot drop, which is where you basically, your your feet get so numb that you can't, they can't do all the little things that, that feet do when you walk. And so I would shuffle around like I was, I don't wanna say 90 years old because there are a lot of really healthy 90 year olds on, uh, you know, on plant food diets, but a very, very old and feeble man because of this, um, because of this neuropathy. Um, at the start I had, I don't want to get into it, but like constipation so bad that I was desperate, desperate for a solution. Um, and 
The other thing is it, it, it wreaks havoc on your immune system. So I did have to spend about four, maybe three or four days in the hospital because my, um, I guess what white blood cell count or whatever was, was pretty much at zero. So I had a little fever and that's, that's kind of an emergency when it comes to, um, when it comes to someone on chemotherapy. Um, I had a blood clot in my arm, which doesn't sound like the world's biggest deal, except I had to go on blood thinners for months. Um, all this stuff, it's kind of coming back to me now, but, but when I say brutal, that's what I mean. It certainly sounds that way. And I think that that is even harder for somebody who was in your position, who was this big, hulking, strong athlete. Nothing could touch me. I'm invincible. That kind of warrior mentality that you need to play athletics at such a high level. And I would think that if you feel comfortable getting a little bit vulnerable with this, like you probably had some really dark days mentally. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really bad, especially at the start. Um, I just, it's funny going into it. I thought, um, is my hair going to fall out? That was, that was a concern is, is my hair going to fall out and how bad am I going to feel in the short term? You know? Um, and after the first treatment, my hair was still there and I was like, okay, good. And then after the second treatment, it started coming out and I go, okay, well, there's the answer to that question. Um, but as far as, you know, it's funny about that, Chuck, about the dark days. I mean, there was always a light at the end of the tunnel. And even though, except for those two days when I thought I had lung cancer, I never really had the, um, I, I, I always kind of knew I was going to get better. And I think you know, it's funny, I have had cancer, but I still had that feeling like, okay, well, once I get past this, I'll be, you know, healthy forever again. You know, it's, we just have these ideas that, that stick. Um, and because of how I was feeling, I guess I had some pretty dark days, but um, it never, it's funny, it, I look back at that time, and there was some positive, I mean, people, what a cliche, right? Like, best thing that ever happened to me, all that stuff. Um, but I do have some really positive memories of those times. And um, I took a lot of work off. I was able to spend a lot of time with my with my wife and it made me kind of reevaluate what I was doing. Like think a lot about, you know, um, I was pursuing songwriting in Nashville at the time and it it gave me an excuse to step away from that and think about, you know, the, you know, where I saw that going. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, you know, it was a strange mix of, of bitter and sweet, you know, um, I watched a lot of football. I hadn't, I, you know, I, I don't watch a lot of football now and I hadn't up till then, but you know, it, I was on the couch all day in the middle of winter and I was like, well, I might as well get into this again. Um, and so I was watching a lot of football and, um, it was just, yeah, I mean, it, just a very mixed time. Um, but for me, it really proved that, you know, things happen to everybody. And, and no matter what you think about yourself, um, you know, that you're bulletproof or invincible or whatever, it's not true. Um, but it also, I don't know. I, I wish I knew, I wish I cared as much about diet then as I do now. I knew that, um, you know, I, I think I got some cancer fighting books, you know, like cancer fighting recipes and stuff. And, and some involved meat, uh, meat, I remember, but my palate was so 
devastated by chemo. That's another thing that it does that I really want. I wanted very few foods and the ones I did were like turkey sandwiches with craft singles on them, you know, like really bland stuff. And so I was like, I'm just going to eat what, what sounds good just so I can get the calories in. Um, but now that I know a lot more about, you know, cancer promotion and stuff like that, I mean, all this like stuff from, you know, the China study and T. Colin Campbell and all this amazing stuff that we know now about animal protein versus plant protein, it makes me wonder, um, I mean, if I were plant-based before, maybe it would have stopped in its tracks and I, I never would have even had the cancer. Um, but I also wonder if I could have tolerated those foods or just knew more about, you know, plant foods at the time if I if it would have been a little bit easier on my body. I'll never know, you know? No, but you know what? I think that every experience we go through in life brings us to the person who we are today. So good, bad, indifferent, whatever. I Without think that a you're a pretty good guy today. So everything seems to be working out in the end for you, even though it was a bumpy road. And, and before we talk more about diet, a couple of things that I want to share with you. Number one, I love the fact that you said that you kind of felt like there was always light at the end of the tunnel. I think that that's so important when you're working toward a goal, whether it's health or anything else. I think that that is the right mentality. Uh, and number two, about your hair, bro, you pull off bald damn well. I'm going to be like flat out honest with you, man. You are a handsome guy. Thank you. I've got a good head shape. My wife tells me that all the time. And you know, it's funny. I ride a bike around a lot just to get where I'm going. And there's nothing better for bicycling than being bald because when you get somewhere, if you have hair and you ride a bike somewhere and you walk in, people know you rode a bike. That's if you wear a helmet because it messes up your hair. But like, if you're bald, you walk in there, it's like you just stepped out of the shower. Like no one, no one can tell. Um, and so now, yeah, I remember, you know, if I hear a friend talking about like, oh, I'm going to get a haircut or I don't like my haircut. And I'm like, you guys are so vain, man. Why don't you just shave your heads? You know, <laughs> dude, it's so good, man. And it's like you just like walk out of the shower. You don't have to bother with the with the towel or the hair dryer. Like it's free now. Oh yeah. I, I I once shaved my head for for a spell after I initially lost a lot of weight. Matter of fact, as I was going through a lot of the weight loss, I could not pull it off like you do, man. I fully support your decision. I got to put in the extra effort with what's happening up here right now, though, man. But someday, and you had long hair, right? I, see, I saw some photos of you where you had like a ponytail going on. Or no, but, kind of like a pulled back on the top, but shaved on the sides thing. Yeah, I did the man bun thing just to get a rise out of my wife for a little <laughs> while. And then I was like, eh, when am I going to grow my hair long again? So I'm just going to keep it for a while. And then it was just like the pandemic happened. I couldn't get to a proper barber shop, And like my sides were all kinds of jacked. And I was just like... We got to shave this. We got to yeah, get rid of it. Every once in a while, like if I see a pig, like Rich Roll looks cool, right? Like he he's he's got style. Like he wears cool glasses and his hair is always cool. And when I see his hair, I'm like, all right, I guess I kind of miss having hair. If it if it looked that cool all the time, but that's kind of a um, it's kind of a trap because my hair never looked that cool. You know? <laughs> so, um, but you know, I, I want to say something about the light light at the end of the tunnel thing and and bring it to kind of weight and and diet you know when i think about this stuff and like i was listening to podcast with anthony masiello on it um and he told a story about being a young dad and sitting there and his kids are on a roller coaster and he realized he couldn't go on with them you know 
And when I think about like, you know, the, you don't want to make people feel bad about their weight. You know, everyone should, should love themselves, which is true, you know, but I have to remind myself that people suffer because of, of their weight. They really do. I mean, not everybody, but, but, you know, only the individual knows. But when I hear stories about, um, you know, like, like Anthony Masiello tells when, when he realizes like, because of my weight, I'm not going to be the father I want to be. Then I think, you know, this is, is worthwhile, you know, and, and you don't have to be, you know, 400 pounds to, to suffer because of your weight. I mean, you know, between, COVID or just how we feel about how we look or, or whatever we're carrying around. Um, it, it makes a big difference to the individual, even though societally we kind of say, oh, well, everyone should just feel good about who they are. Like, yes, of course you should feel good about who you are, but it's not, um, you're not doing something wrong. If you feel like I want to lose weight because I think I will feel better or look better or be a better father. You know, th those are so legitimate. And um, I guess when I think about going on, you know, a show like this, I, I just want someone to hear, you know, someone who, you know, weighs 240 and wants to weigh 210 or whatever, you know, that um, that this is the way and it, and it does feel great, you know? So, um, you know, kind of bring the chemo light at the end of the tunnel thing around to, to a weight light at the end of the tunnel thing. Um, I just always have to remind myself that, that people, this really affects people, you know, psych, not just physically, but psychologically and, and, um, and eating this way is, is a great way to, to, to improve your life, you know? Couldn't have said it any better myself, man. Um, I, I want to ask you as you're going through the treatments and obviously you're seeing this light at the end of the tunnel at any point during your treatment cycle, did they talk to you about modifying your diet, maybe limiting animal proteins, anything like that come up? No. So Period. That was all like <laughs> you, you went down the rabbit hole yourself. Well, I mean, the, Later. so I didn't, I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I finished my treatment in 2014. I didn't become plant-based until 2020. So, um, a couple of, I guess it was on my mind a little because someone gave us a book that was like the cancer fighting kitchen. And, and my wife made this wonderful, um, vegetable broth that I could drink, um, you know, hot mugs of it. But honestly, like, I feel so bad because I kind of just let it sit there cause I didn't want it, but I didn't, um, you know, I was, I would rather eat crap, you know, at the time. Um, and, and I think that was a comfort thing. It was a calorie thing, but it was also a comfort thing. And so that, you know, I, I had a great, great doctor in, in Nashville, uh, David Morgan, you're a great doctor. You know, he was my cancer doc and he's a great guy. Um, but no, nobody, nobody told me what I should or shouldn't be eating. Um, and, I remember, um, you know, I was kind of indulging my, my palate. Cause I was like, Oh, I need strength. So I'm going to eat a large pizza, <laughs> whatever. Um, and I remember my, my weight kind of ticking up a little bit cause my weights, I couldn't eat after my first chemo treatment because I felt so bad and my weight got really, really low. And then it started ticking up and then it was at, you know, where I was when I started, let's say, and then it was eight pounds higher. And I told, I remember telling my doctor, like, 
yeah, I'm, you know, put on some weight. I think it must be that steroid, <laughs> steroid. And he's kind of like, no, it's not the steroid, you know? Um, so I was trying to blame the steroid, but it turns out I was just eating, you know, I was, I wasn't doing much physically and I was eating, you know, a ton of really, you know, fatty foods and stuff. Um, but no, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a part of the conversation. And I remember, I don't know when I stumbled upon <clears throat> Chris Wark and, you know, Chris beat cancer was his website and then a book and stuff. And, um, when I heard his story, I thought this is, I, I guess in my mind, I kind of believed in food as medicine, you know, in theory, but when it, came time for me to make the decision on cancer. I was like, of course, give me the chemo, like, give me the, give me the standard treatment. And when I heard about Chris beat cancer, I remember thinking like, this is dangerous for people to pay attention to this guy in, in potentially ignore, you know, or, or say no to a, to a proven treatment. Um, now, I don't see it that way. I'm not sure, you know, if I had lymphoma again, I would have said no to the chemo and, and just eaten plant-based. But now what I understand about cancer promotion and stuff like that, I realize that there's a legitimate message there. Um, you know, of course it'd be up to everybody to, you know, to say no to chemotherapy when that's a, a proven treatment, um, it, it would be pretty audacious, you know, but, um, you know, chemotherapy, the, the standard treatment worked for me, but I do have some lung damage. Um, I, my feet are still not completely awake yet. So I am, um, you know, I'm healthy, but there are still lingering effects of the chemo. So, um, you know, you, you, you pay a price for doing chemo. Um, but it's like a shotgun blast to your, to your body and, and it can damage stuff that was, that was fine, you know, um, so I see, I see that whole thing a little bit differently now. Yeah, but I mean, given where you were at the time, what you knew at the time, I can't imagine that you would have a regret about no. that decision. No, not at all. I mean, um, no, not at all. But now thinking about, you know, what a danger that, you know, secondary cancers, you know, cancers caused by the treatment are, I have no doubt that... Um, that the way I live now is, is the way to do it. But the, the stakes don't seem as high as, you know, when you have the disease at the moment, you know. And do you remember the day that the doctor told you, say, hey, Pete, I got some good news, buddy. You're in remission. No more cancer. You know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't quite as dramatic. The, they take a scan, um, I had, so I had what's called stage two, stage two B or stage two unfavorable. Um, and it turns out that the difference between stage two favorable and unfavorable is just the size of a tumor. If it's like, you know, five centimeters or more, it's unfavorable. And the tumor in, in Hodgkin's often manifests in your, your mediastinum, the, the space between your lungs. And so mine was big. So I had stage two B and after chemo, I think after maybe three or four treatments, they take a scan just to be like, is this working? Cause they're, they're trying to shrink the tumor. Um, and so when they took that scan, I realized I, I looked at it and it was night and day. I, I wish I had sent you a picture, but the tumor was essentially gone. So we knew the chemo was working. So that 
was a huge psychological lift for me, which is like, this sucks, but it's working. Um, and then the, you know, it dragged on and on. And that's when these, these little side effects started piling up. Um, and so I already kind of considered myself like in remission, you know, I was like, okay, they got that big tumor. Now they're just, you know, making sure that, that, you know, they're being safe thing, you know, nothing's going to come back. Um, at the end, they irradiate it to, you know, to scorch the earth a little bit more. But the moment, the great moment for me was my last chemo treatment. And I came home and uh, was, my wife was at work. And when she came home, I just met her in the yard and we cried. I mean, it was, it was this huge release um, because it, it sucked so bad, you know, and, and I had radiation after that for a month and people asked me like, what was worse, chemo or radiation? And I go, for me, radiation was like, it wasn't even as bad as going to the dentist. Like, and I had to go every day of the week, but I didn't care because chemo was done. Um, and so that was really the big moment. And then I think I had to go in after six months and they checked me and then after a year and then for a couple of years after you're done, you just go in once a year for a scan. And now I don't even have to have scans. It's just, uh, I have a doctor, I see him once a year, but it's like, if, if there are no signs of anything, then, um, you know, cause there's a cost on your body to, to doing a CT scan, you know? So, um, that, that was really the moment for me where, where I felt like, you know, we did it. Powerful stuff, man. That's a heck of a journey. And it sets you up perfectly to write what was, I think, an extraordinary piece on another football player who had a similar journey, talking about Eric Berry of the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I just, I mean, you nailed it. I mean, there were just thousands and thousands and thousands of articles written about Eric Berry and his return to the game after battling cancer, but you having been a football player yourself, having gone through this yourself, to be able to put that into words, to sit down with him, to really craft what this whole journey was like. I mean, what a privilege it must have been to be able to pen that piece. Yeah, it was. I should note, I didn't get to talk to him. This was just all from my my perspective, but... Um... Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, so you know, I was diagnosed in December of 2013, and a year later, um, Eric Berry, the you know who played for the Chiefs, he was an All-Pro and and a safety, and uh, played at University of Tennessee before that. Um, I think he's from Georgia. I'm not sure, but I think so. Um, anyway, he left a game um, because of some chest pain or something. And then they gave him an x-ray and they said he had a mass in his chest. And, and that was exactly what the doctor told me. You've got a mass in your chest. And I said, I bet he's got, I bet he's got Hodgkins. And sure enough, he had Hodgkins. So he left the team, um, you know, went through his treatment and, you know, keep in mind that like June was when I was coming out of my treatment and I did some radiation after that of 2013. So if you put him on the same timeline, then in 2015, in the summer, he'd be finishing up his treatment. And so he went to camp, you know, in August to practice with the chiefs back at practice. And that was, you know, people were writing about this, but I was like, I don't think people get how incredible that is that, you know, I can, I don't know, I could barely even just go about life as a 
regular guy, you know, after that treatment, and he's going to go play football um, for the Chiefs. And so I had been one of the things I realized when I was, you know, going through my treatment is that I didn't think songwriting was the path for me, but I thought, you know, writing like nonfiction stuff was. And so I had been writing a lot. I'd been blogging a bit. And I had a couple things that I thought, you know, this can get published. Um, and those things didn't get published. But I stayed up basically all night writing this thing about Eric Berry. And I told my wife, this is going to get published. This is, someone's going to want to read this. This is going to be my first professional piece of writing. Um, and so uh, the Kansas City Star ended up publishing it. And um, yeah, it was very rewarding for me. Um, I got, had some nice, you know, feedback from people in the area who emailed me and one woman was going through, you know, her own cancer thing. And um, it was just, I felt very lucky that that was kind of my entry, you know, into, into professional writing, something that I could write about, you know, so personally. And uh, we'll go ahead and include a link to that article or in that uh, piece that you published. I mean, it's so good. And by the way, as somebody who has spent their entire career in media, to have your first piece published by a newspaper like the Kansas City Star, I mean, bro, that's like making your football debut for the Chiefs. I mean, like that is big time <laughs> stuff, dude. No, it was great. You know, and thank you. Um, and I, you know, when I finished that, I go, well, who would want to read this? So I think I reached out to like, you know, ESPN or maybe Grantland at the time. Um, and then maybe Knoxville, a paper in, or sorry, the Tennessean in Nashville where I was living, um, you know, with some, some interest, but one, the guy from the Tennessean wanted to hack it down quite a bit. And I tried the Kansas city star, but I had no connections, you know? And so I got in touch with them through a form on their website, which was like, honestly, the form you would use if your paper kept showing up wet. You know, it was not, it was not a direct line to an editor, you know? And so I did that and I said, I've got this piece I want you to read. And I think, you know, be interest, you know, of interest. Um, and the next week I had an email from their sports editor basically saying, I will read this. What was funny is it kind of showed the, the path that my email had taken. And it was a bunch of just forwards with question marks. You know, like, what do I do with this? You know, and and I, I thank the Kansas City Star very much for because anywhere along that chain, someone could have just gone like, just throw this away, you know. Um, but uh, but it made it there. I sent it to the guy and, you know, 10 minutes later, he said, it. you know, let's let's do this. So it was very, very fortunate. My best guess in having worked in newsrooms myself is that they saw value in that piece. Otherwise, it would have been discarded because I can guarantee you, just as you found that submission form, others have as well. And their submissions definitely did not make it up the email chain. But because here we have a football player who can really eloquently write about Eric Berry's journey based off of his own personal experience, I mean, that's what really sold it for the star. Yeah, yeah, it was... Um... Yeah, it was, it was from the heart and the, and the time was right. You know, I mean, it, football season was starting. It was, it, the you know, the, the stars aligned. Absolutely. And, uh, and I know uh, as we wrap things up here, you're actually, uh, you're not being selfish about all of the knowledge that you've required over the years. You've encouraged some of your former teammates at UCLA to improve their health as well, take a closer look at their diet. Do you find that more and more guys are kind of coming out of the woodwork and asking you questions and kind of like, 
getting ready, getting mentally prepared to get over the stigma that is a plant-based diet? You know, I guess because I have two friends that that have adopted a plant-based diet, two former teammates, um, then I will say yes, some are prepared to get over the stigma. But I wish it were more, you know, and that's the thing you want to you want to spread the word, you know, but I want to sound like some, you know, zealot who's just out there, you know, telling people how they should live their life. But I want I, I do want people to feel free to ask me about it. So um, if anyone listening ever wants to talk to me personally about it, I I will put my contact information in the notes, you know, because I would love to do it. Um, but the thing with um, about two years ago, I went back to a little reunion that we had at UCLA <clears throat> and I was hanging out with two of my buddies from the team and I was already plant-based and we got kind of got pizza late night at this place and you could build your own. And I was like, okay, well, no oil, no cheese. And they were kind of like, you know, what's this guy doing? But one of those friends got in touch um, earlier this year because he had some, he'd went, gone to the doctor and something was a little bit not to his doctor's liking, you know? So all of a sudden it came back to him what I was doing. And actually I think his text said something about, thanks for ruining meat for me. And it's because apparently I told him to read How Not to Die. And um, and he read How Not to Die or was listening to it on tape. And <clears throat> he realized like, I think I'm gonna give this a try. And so he would text me and you know say, What do you do with this? You know, how do you cook beans? You know, all these, all these little things. And and I really relished doing that for him. And we still communicate like that. This is a very good friend of mine. But the thing I mentioned in the email to you, Chuck, that I um I was glad our our little talk got delayed a couple of days is because he texted me yesterday. And I think he's lost maybe 30 pounds, 35 pounds. It's a lot, you know. And he texted me yesterday and he said he had his cholesterol tested. And the last time before he made these changes, his cholesterol was 204. Okay. And yesterday it was 140. 140. Wow. You know, like that's 30% hacked off of his, his total cholesterol. I don't know what statins do, but do they do that? You know, I mean, th that's just incredible. That is mind blowing, man. Yeah. That's yeah. the ripple effect, bro. The ripple yeah, so effect. So good job, Mike. Shout out to my friend Mike. Atta boy, Mike. Atta boy, Mike. And uh, listen, uh, Pete, I wish that we could go on forever, man. But this has just been a fascinating hour that we've had the opportunity to spend with you. And I know that you are very much open to opportunities in the plant-based space, whether it's writing. I know that this is where you want to push your chips. You want to go yeah. all in with this, man. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's it's been such a pleasure, you know, um, talking to you. I should mention, Chuck, I think I told you this, but the first podcast I started listening to in this world was Plant Strong. And I, I heard you on there, and that's how I got turned on to PCRM. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan in, and this is, it's been fun to talk and yes, we could talk for hours, I'm sure. Um, but I love the idea that someone might hear this and, and think like, I'm going to play this for my, you know, I want my husband to listen to this cause he's 46 and, you know, is a guy's guy, but he wants to lose 40 pounds or whatever, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I love being in this world. I loved going to the podcast that, uh, you know, the live show that you did in New York City. Um, 
and so, yeah, I mean, anywhere I can use my, you know, my, my story or my abilities or writing or whatever, um, uh, you know, I, I just love to do it. Cause I'm such a, I'm such a believer. All right, my man. Well, listen, um, the privilege has been all mine and I can guarantee you that what you're hoping for in terms of somebody playing this for that guy's guy in their life, it's going to happen. It's absolutely yeah. going to happen, man. Yeah. This show is so powerful, man. And that's, that is a privilege that I do not take lightly. And cool. so we need more stories like yours, bro. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to tell it on here. You're a good man. All right, my friend, I appreciate your time. Stay well. Thank you, Chuck. He came, he saw, he conquered cancer. Pete Holland, a Bruin legend, an exam room legend, and a life icon. No doubt about it. Check out his website, PeteHolland.com, and his column that has that unique insight into fellow football player Eric Berry's own battle with cancer. There's a link to that from the Kansas City Star in the episode notes. And to borrow a line, a little something-something, that particular column, his first, was truly a KC masterpiece. So definitely check that out. Click that link down below in the episode notes. And look, you know, Pete is looking for additional writing opportunities. So maybe there's a spot for him on your team. Open up that roster a little bit. Hit him up. He's got his contact information on his website, PeteHolland.com. Grab the contact info there. Check out some of his other clips and then hit him up with whatever opportunities there may be. I'll tell you what, I'm excited to be headed out to his old stomping grounds around UCLA. I'm going to be headed to the LA area in just a little bit to link up with Dr. Christy Funk as we record our Let's Beat Breast Cancer episodes for the year. Going to be sandwiching that in between stops in Omaha for the Healthy for a Lifetime Conference. That's on September 23rd. And then the St. Louis Veg Fest on October 1st. So that in between time is when I'm going to be out on the West Coast. And that means, my friends, I am definitely looking for some suggestions on where to eat. So if you have any ideas on some good places to get some good plant-based healthy grub, let me know. They are always welcome. Give me the best restaurants. Send them my way in LA at Chuck Carroll WLC across the board on social media. That's good for the gram, threads, Twitter, X, whatever it is you want to call it. Facebook, the Tiki Talks. I'm all across the board at Chuck Carroll WLC. Grub suggestions are welcome. Don't just limit it to LA. I mean, I'd love to know about Omaha. I'd love to hear some for St. Louis as well. But then also Denver, because I'm going to be headed to the Mile High City for the Born to Be You retreat with Coach Leia on October 11th through the 15th. And then Chesapeake, Virginia for the Hampton Roads Veg Fest on October 28th. Houston, Texas for the Montgomery Heart and Wellness Summit on November 18th. And then probably don't need restaurant suggestions for Washington, D.C., my home. But I'm going to be there November 7th for the final exam room live and in person of the year. This one, our biggest yet, as we honor the Esselstyn family for their contributions in making the world a healthier place. We're going to be at the National Press Club November 7th for the exam room live and in person. This is your opportunity to meet Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn making a very rare appearance. He's going to be there along with his wife Anne, daughter Jane, and of course our friend from Plant Strong, 
my guy, Rip Esselstyn, also going to be in the house. And hopefully, you're going to be in the house as well at the National Press Club November 7th. Tickets on sale right now, pcrm.org slash events, or just click that link in the episode notes. Now, the National Press Club, just a stone's throw away from the White House. And I was just at the White House this past week as well for our Let's Beat Breast Cancer event, kind of kicking everything off. We were out there. We had three drum lines from different high schools around the D.C. area. Really cool. Those kids can keep a beat. Let me tell you something. Holy cow. It's so powerful when they get out there and they're banging the drums. And we all had our nutritionists, our colleagues, our doctors out there holding up signs. Let's beat breast cancer, explaining some of the science between why eating a plant-based diet can reduce your risk of cancer. And hitting people who were just passing by, a lot of them tourists happen to be in D.C., may not even be from the United States. But we do know that cancer is a battle that is being fought on a global front. So we were really happy to be out there and able to drop some knowledge as we try to beat breast cancer, not just in D.C., not just in Maryland, not just in Virginia, not just in the United States, but around the world. And so we're trying to do this in each of the 50 states this year. We've got a lot covered. We just had another one up in Indiana, in the Indianapolis area. And we got some big time help with that one. We had the Indiana Pacers. Their drum line was out there from the NBA, from the NFL, the Indianapolis Colts drum line, also out there banging a drum. So sticking with today's football theme, that was great to see. We are truly raising awareness coast to coast and around the world. And if you are interested in participating in a Let's Beat Breast Cancer event, you can see if there's one near you, pcrm.org slash let's beat breast cancer, pcrm.org slash let's beat breast cancer. Now, coming up on the next episode, Dr. Neil Barnard will be back in the house for the exam room live. And we're going to be talking about a new study examining milk and broken bones. Well, dairy, actually, and broken bones. We're not just limiting it to milk. We're looking at all kinds of dairy. So what do the facts show? From hundreds of thousands of people who either eat cheese or yogurt or drink milk. What do they show? We're going to look into that, all this data, whether they've broken a bone. And this particular study that we're going to be discussing looks at hip fractures. So really interesting facts coming out and probably going to be counter to a lot of what we have been taught for our entire lives. Getting into that, getting some to rethink what we have been taught, unearthing facts and finding out what the truth is and moving us into a healthier future. So that study and your questions coming up on the next show. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the incredible icon, the legend, the gridiron gladiator turned plant-based warrior, Pete Holland. Thank you so very much for being here, raising our health IQs, our spirits, and giving us a heavy dose of inspiration. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.